0: And I, I think that when we get to this, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Uh, he's been dealing with a lot of ideas and doctrine and theology and, and big stuff, which has practical application, don't, don't get me wrong, but he's been dealing with a lot of big stuff. And now we're in uh, chapter 5, and as we get into this, I think that really what, what Paul is getting ready to do is answer a question of how are we supposed to interact together as a church. I mean, we're, we're each individuals, right? Um, but how are we as individuals supposed to interact with each other? How does that work? How does that play out? And so the first couple of verses that we're going to dig into are going to deal with an overarching idea to cover the next several weeks. So we'll, we'll take a look at those and how that works, and then we'll, we'll continue on and look at, um, you know, the specifics. But you do realize we live in a fallen world, right? People people are sinful, people mess up. And so there will be times when when bad things happen, when people don't do what they're supposed to. So how are we to interact with those folks? And then there are times when when bad things beyond our control happen and and negative experiences result from that. How are we as a church supposed to interact and deal with that? Um, and, and really, this week, we're going to be talking about one that, that's pretty difficult. Um, at least as, as I look at it and I think about this idea of widows and the challenges that that brings... And, um, during the week I got, I got a few phone calls about the, the pre-study and some of that and, which is, is cool. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I'm more than willing to answer as best as I can any of those types of questions. Um, but some of those like, okay, I understand where this is going and what it's saying, but, but practically what do I do with that? How do I, well, what about this and, and what if that and things of that nature and, and some of those can be challenging, um. And so we're going to be we're going to be digging into this section. And like I said, it, this this idea starts out with the first two verses that kind of set the stage for everything that comes after. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into those. I will give you a heads up. We are going to be looking at several other passages. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna jump around a little bit. I I'm gonna try not to lose you in that. But I think that one important thing to understand is sometimes when Paul is teaching something, he assumes that the the reader knows certain things. And so there's going to be some information from the Old Testament and different, different ideas and concepts that come up, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of those um, because they, they play out in how we do this interaction and how we deal with others. So I, I don't want to lose you in that process, but I do want to take a look at some of those as well. Before we open God's Word, I do want to pray one more time. And then, uh, then we're going to take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and what Timothy is instructed by Paul about how to handle the church and specifically how to deal with widows. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it teaches us and instructs us. Lord, help me to handle it well. Help each of us to learn from it, to be challenged by it. To be changed by it. Lord, you, you give us so much that is practical in how we ought to live. And so I pray that that as we study your word today, that we would go out from here different than we were when we arrived. Lord, help us to submit to you. And when we do come on some of these things that are difficult and challenging and hard and, and even sad, Lord, I pray that that we would have your attitude and your mindset as we deal with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We are dealing with uh, a fairly large section. And I, I as I was studying and, and getting ready several weeks ago, and then again as I was going through it this week, I was trying to find a way that I could break it down because it's such a big section. But it just fits together so well. So we're going we're gonna to tackle all of it, uh, verses 1 through 16, and uh, we'll see where we end up. Starting off in verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be part put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a rep- reputation for good works, And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard to Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. Not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger, younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, give the enemy no, op, no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any, widow, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows... Let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Like I said, the first uh, two verses kind of set up the stage for for everything that comes after. And it starts off with this phrase, do not sharply rebuke an older man or an elder. And uh, I, I mentioned Vines And this is one of those cases where vines can be very, very useful. Uh, This idea of rebuke comes up multiple times, over and over again. And you you look up in vines that idea, and you're going to find several different Greek words that come into play. And so it's important to know what kind of rebuke we're talking about. Because when I hear the idea of rebuke, it's like, okay, don't get after somebody. Don't tell them that they're wrong. But that's not quite what's going on here. Um, I was, I was going to ask a couple of the, the police officers in here, when, when you give a command and somebody doesn't listen to it, what options do you have then? <laughs> okay, that's, that's jumping right to the end. Um, <laughs> I was thinking of progression, right, that, there, that there's multiple things. Do what? He, he disappeared. Yeah, he disappeared. Uh, physical contact. Ultimately, you can put them in, in handcuffs, right, and potentially throw them in jail, right? Well, that's the type of idea that's going on here. It's not just don't say a rebuke to somebody, because there, there is room, there is opportunity where we need to exhort one another or challenge someone. And if, if someone's not doing what they ought to, we ought to come out and say, hey, that's, that's not right. The idea of rebuke here is much like striking, physical contact. Um, as a as a parent, my mind went to the idea of spanking. See, see, pastors are not given the authority to spank their congregation. It's just one of those things. It's not there. Parents are. Uh, in fact, I would contest that parents not only have the authority but also the responsibility to spank their kids, or or at least discipline them with the rod. I wrote this one down so that I wouldn't get the wrong reference. Uh, Proverbs twenty three. Proverbs twenty three deals with this idea that they are given the rod to enforce discipline. And so, I don't want to get off into parenting too much, but there is a level at which parents are given the authority and the responsibility to physically instruct their children. And sometimes that means spanking. Pastors, on the other hand, are not. And so that's the idea that's going on here in in verse 1 of chapter 5. Do not sharply rebuke. And I think that's why NASB translated it sharply instead of just rebuke, is it's, you're not allowed to spank your congregation. In fact, this isn't just going toward... Oh, thank you. I forgot. I've got the clicker now, don't I? Um, I'm going to have to get used to having this thing. I like it. I appreciate it. But it'll take me a minute. Do not sharply rebuke. Um, is the idea that it's, you're, you're not allowed to smite them or strike them or force them to do what you want them to do. Instead, an, an alternate is given, and that's to appeal, that's to encourage, that's to call them alongside. Now, obviously with the police officers, that's probably not going to work too well, um, but the desire, the hope, is that within the body of Christ, within the fellowship, that as a As a pastor or a teacher or a leader or s- just an individual who study god 's Word, we need to be calling alongside others that they join us as we follow christ and you 'll notice lots of times when Paul is dealing with people he calls them to follow him as he follows christ right he 's calling them aside to join him and so that 's the idea that paul 's presenting here is not he 's telling timothy don 't sp- start smacking people around and telling them what they have to do, encourage them, call them alongside, help them come alongside of you. And he starts out with this idea of, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. So, Timothy's instructed, there there are men who are older than him, probably have more experience, more wisdom, all kinds of stuff like that. Don't rebuke them in this way. Don't, strike them or smite them. Instead, appeal to them, encourage them, call them alongside you so that together you go forward, you go towards where God wants you to go. Do it the way that you would talk to a father. He then goes on and says to younger men as brothers. And so this, this idea of do not rebuke, instead appeal, it's not just limited to that one category. It's to all four of these categories that we're going to see. If there's a younger man, appeal to him, encourage him like you would a brother. If there's an older man, like you would a father. If there's an older woman, encourage her like you would your mother or a younger woman like you would your sister. Don't, don't go knocking heads together and beating them up and tell them how wrong and terrible they are. Encourage them, appeal to them, draw them alongside. Now, this, uh, all, all four of these categories are dealt with in a particular way. And that's with all purity. That's the last part of that, uh, of verse 2. In all purity. You'll remember that that came up in the last chapter, chapter 4, verse 12, is the way that Timothy was told to show the example in all purity, or spotless, without sin, without blame, without uh, those things that would, would make him unpure, but do it in a pure way. And so, how do we as followers of Christ, how do we, as the body of believers, how do we encourage one another? How do we draw people closer to Christ? It's not by rebuking them and getting after them and doing that type of thing. Instead, it's by appealing to them and encouraging them. Now, obviously, with this, we get the idea or the picture of a family, right? Now, I don't know Necessarily, what backgrounds of churches you all have been in, but I was uh, middle America Baptistic type churches. Everybody's brother, everybody's sister. You ever you ever experienced that? That that's the kind of idea that comes from this. And I think it's okay to call people that. I'm not necessarily going that direction, but I think what he's saying is we need to have this family-type concept, regardless of what what we call each other, this family-type concept as we interact with one another. The problem that we run into in uh, our day and age is that there's a lot of poor examples of what a family ought to be. Um, Sad but true. When when I say, uh, like a father... Everybody has a picture in their mind, and some of those are accurate, and some of those aren't. Some of those, unfortunately, sadly, are of bad fathers, of poor fathers, of, of absent fathers, perhaps. And so, I, one of the things that I want to do, just real quick, I don't want to go on a huge long rabbit trail, but I... This is one of those examples where I think that, that Paul assumes Timothy knows what a good father and a good mother, a good sibling is. So I wanted to, to, real quickly, real briefly, see if I can make this thing work. Hey, there we go. Take a look at a couple of passages. Uh, like I said, I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but I do think that it's important to understand a couple of things about uh, how God views parents, how God views fathers and mothers. So real quick, in a Leviticus chapter 19. Now you'll recall Leviticus is the book to help them understand how a redeemed people or a people brought out of slavery, how they are to live in relationship with a holy God. And so this is, this is looking at what's it going to take to be living holy now that we are redeemed out of slavery. Um, and in, in Leviticus chapter 19, he starts off, it says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation of the sons of Israel, say to them, you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make yourself molten gods. I am the Lord your God. And I got thinking about that. Okay, if we are to interact with older men and women, as if they were fathers and mothers, this is probably part of that. This idea of every one of you should reverence or respect or look up to. So as a younger man, I'm, I'm instructed then that I need to look up to the older men, even though they may be, you know, what, whatever, I may have gone to college and had more experience in that regard than some, that doesn't matter I still have a responsibility to respect them or reverence them in in this way, in this idea. Now, one of the things that stood out to me in this chapter, um, here in Leviticus 19, is that before he addressed the idea of idols, and before he addressed the idea of uh, Sabbaths, he deals with this idea of how do we interact with our parents, with our fathers and our mothers. And it, it just struck me as interesting that... In order to be holy, in order to be set aside, we are to reverence our our parents prior to him getting to all of these other things. I just thought that that was kind of kind of interesting. This idea of reverence is the same same word that 's used in other places when it talks about fear god um, that that we are to have a holy fear or a a reverential awe is one way that that's defined sometimes or of respect or a recognition that this is weighty, that this is important. So, moving on to the next one. Leviticus chapter uh, 20, verse 9. In Leviticus 20, verse 9, it says, if there's anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. Hmm. I think God... God takes this seriously. And so what, what I want to encourage with this, like I said, we're taking a, a small rabbit trail, but the, the idea that I want you to get from this is God has expectations about what it is that we interact towards a father and a mother. And when he tells Timothy, treat these older women and these older men as fathers and mothers, as mothers and fathers, I think that what he's saying is have respect for them. Treat them with honor, treat them with dignity, treat them in this way. And so when we, when we deal with this family interaction that Paul is setting up, it's not just a standalone like, okay, whatever type of family you might have grown up in, that's the way that we we're looking at. I think that Paul is referencing back to these Old Testament ideas and saying, hey, that, that stuff that you know about what God expects of a family interaction, that applies here in the church as well that there's a level of respect, that there's a level of honor um, and dignity that is to be anticipated. The fact of the matter is that God prizes the family relationships. And I've, I've only touched on a couple. There's obviously a lot more that we could go to in how God views, um, how God views families and different things of that nature. I just wanted to, to bring out a couple of those. Um, and this chapter in 1 Timothy is going to deal with a couple of specifics then, based on that idea that God values family, that God puts great weight on this, we're going to look at, okay, how do we deal with certain specific situations related to that? So let's go back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters in all purity. That's how we're supposed to interact, and like I said, that sets the stage for everything that then comes afterwards. Verse 3, honor widows who are widows indeed. Honor, it means to respect or esteem or place value on. Now, it's something that requires action. It doesn't stand alone as just speak nicely about or or compliment or talk about them as a good thing, but it requires actual action or activity to be done. Now, again, we're going we're gonna to go to another passage real quick. I don't want to get bogged down, but I do want to, to catch this idea or this picture that's brought up back in Matthew. Matthew chapter 15, verse well 4 is the main one. We're going to read a little bit broader than that. There's a parallel passage in Mark. That's the one that's listed up there. But in Matthew chapter 15, again, we see from the Old Testament that there's there's certain expectations, certain things that, that they knew about how family was to be treated and what was supposed to be going on. And uh, the Pharisees come up to Jesus, as they frequently did, and they ask him a question. They ask him, okay, why are your disciples disregarding our traditions. I mean, they didn't wash their hands before they had a meal. That's the, the context of what's happening. And Jesus deals with that, and he, he addresses why it is or what's going on with this. So starting off in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 15, it says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Anything of mine that you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. Thus, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your traditions, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. A couple of things that I wanted to pull from this passage. One, this idea of honor. Um, In 1 Timothy, we're told to honor the widows, right? Well, here we have that same idea, that same concept coming up. Honor your father and mother. But Jesus doesn't leave it just with this idea of, okay, say nice things about them, be respectful, anything of that nature. No, the example that he gives, the expectation that he gives, is that the children have a responsibility to take care of their parents. Okay? So when he says... um, The law says, or God said, verse 4, God said, honor your father and mother. He is giving them the Old Testament command that they were supposed to know. The traditions that the Pharisees and the scribes had, however, was that, well, you know, that can be pretty expensive. That can be costly. And so, if a child wants to say, well, I, I gave that to God, and therefore I don't have to give it to you, what they're doing is finding a workaround to avoid the specific instructions that God expected. God expects kids to take care of their parents. Obviously, parents take care of their kids, they raise them up, and then kids have a responsibility to care for their parents. But Jesus is getting after these guys because they're ignoring that. They're saying, well, but I could do this or I could do that, and and they're trying to find workarounds to avoid having to do what the law explicitly says. I want you to keep that concept in mind as we go back here in a minute to 1 Timothy because there are going to be some of those things where it's really easy to look at it and be like, well, I mean, that, that might get kind of expensive and that might be kind of difficult. Well, here Jesus is really dealing with more of a heart issue. Yes, there are specific guidelines. Yes, there are specific things that are to be done. But there at the end of that passage he really identifies that this is a, an issue of the heart. What's your attitude? What's your desire? Are you wanting to take care of your parents in this one, the widows, when we get back to First Timothy? Is that your desire, or are you instead just trying to find a, a way around it, a workaround to ignore the obvious, clear, simple, basic principle that's presented here? <clears throat> So in both of these, the scribes and the Pharisees, they come up, they're trying to use their traditions as an excuse to break the Old Testament law, um, but Jesus pretty much says, yeah, you can't do that. That's not allowed. Um, And at the end of the section, we see that Jesus recognizes that this is not just a financial thing, but a heart issue. Yes, they're trying to get away from having to spend the finances to be able to take care of their parents, but it really comes down to a heart issue that they're dealing with. We are to honor God with our time, our talents, and our treasure, and we're to do the same for our parents. Um, Let's go back to 1 Timothy, and we'll see the practical application of how that plays out. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but... If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own faith and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. What we're going to be getting into ultimately with this passage is what is the church's responsibility in regards to widows? That's that's the big picture that Paul is dealing with. However, as I mentioned at the beginning, there are lots of um, of other ideas that Timothy would have been familiar with. He would have known about some of these Old Testament teachings, some of these ideas that have been brought up. And they're coming up, and they're, they're really a part of what's going on here. Uh, we, we already mentioned, yes, kids are supposed to take care of their parents, right? Well, where do we get that? How do we know that? Why is that? Well, the teaching that we just looked at that Jesus brings, honor your father and mother, it's not just be respectful, it's take care of them, it's it's love them in such a way that you you deal with those financial and those physical needs as well. We get down into First Timothy chapter five verse four, and that expectation remains. What what Paul's dealing with does not change any of that stuff. He says, if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety. Now I, I got digging into that one, kind of kind of surprised by the phrase. What what comes to your mind when you ha- hear that, or when you see that idea of practicing piety? Do what? Okay. Living out godliness. Living out your faith. That's, that's really what this is. And so it's not just, oh, I have to do this because I, I've been told to. No, this is how do you live out what you believe. You say that you're a follower of Christ, Well, we just looked at this idea that Jesus is instructing the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who are supposed to know the law. He's instructing them, hey, this is a heart issue. Honor your father and mother. It's not just about the financial. It's about your heart. It's about your attitude. Well, in the same way, children and grandchildren, notice it's not just one generation, it's multiple. All of the offspring are to live out their faith in a certain way. They show what they believe based on this. Live out your faith or practice piety in regard to your own family and make some return. Parents, it, it's tough. It's tough to raise kids. It's expensive. It's hard. It's challenging. Some of the, the younger families, you know how much diapers cost, right? It, it takes a lot. Some of the older families, you know how much food costs as they become teenagers. It gets more and more expensive and more and more difficult. You've invested a lot into them to take care of them, to raise them in the same way Uh, They are expected then to turn around and make a return to your parents. This is acceptable in the sight of God. Simply put, you say that you have religion, but how does that play out? What do you do about it? This idea is going to come up again in uh, verse 8. The the same idea comes up in James chapter 1. Probably you could quote it this, many of you. Um, i 'm going to turn to it real quick. you 're welcome to f- follow along. Did I, do I have this one? Yes. James chapter one, verse 27. we 're almost done going all over everywhere else. We 'll bring it back to First to Timothy shortly. But in James chapter one, verse 27, it says, "This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and keep one'self unstained by the world." What is true religion? Caring for widows and orphans. I mean that's that's really what it comes down to. The idea here is that caring for widows isn't just a side note. It's not just something that we do every now and then because well, you know, it's it's kind of important. Timothy or Paul here is making this a central idea of how do you validate your faith? How do you prove that you actually have faith? And like I said this comes up again in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I know that we've, we've gone around, we've looked at a bunch of different passages, we've gone a lot of different places. Let me bring it back together and, and try and get you um, on, on the same page. What's going on is Paul is assuming that Timothy knows certain things. Assuming that he understands these ideas of what does God expect of families? What does God expect of honor? What, does it, what is the expectation in regard to these ideas? And then he's saying, put that into practice. Every individual ought to be taking care of those that are of their own household, those that are of their own. Now, obviously, we realize we live in a fallen world, and there are people who don't do this. But verse 4 says, let them learn to practice piety. I, I was struck by that idea of learn in that, you know, there's still opportunity to develop and grow and get better. And so they need to figure out how to put into practice what they say that they believe. You call yourself a Christian. You say that you are a follower of Christ, but how does that play out? Are you living it? And here is a great example of how to show that you're living it by taking care of those who are of your own family, by uh, making some return to your parents, this is acceptable in the sight of God. One more example comes from Jesus himself in John chapter 19. I'm not necessarily going to turn there, but you'll recall John 19, that's when Jesus is on the cross, right? He's about to die. He's, He's moments away from breathing his last. He's actually got two things left that he's going to deal with in John chapter 19. The one that we're going to look at, and then he says, I'm thirsty to fulfill a prophecy, and then he gives up the ghost and he dies. So right before his death, he looks down from the cross, and he sees the disciple who he loves, John. And he sees his mother, and he says to John, John, behold your mother. And he says to his mother, mother, behold your son. And then uh, verse 27 says, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. And so what Jesus does is he deals with this. He's about to die, and he makes sure that his mom is taken care of. Now, the question that came to my mind is, okay, where's, where's Joseph? What happened to Joseph? Or, or what about the brothers? Where, where'd the brothers go? And, and those are good questions. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on with this. But the point that I want to draw out is the fact that Jesus took care to make sure that his mother was cared for. And John accepted the responsibility to such an extent that Mary then becomes part of his own household. And and he is going to bear the financial responsibility, the physical responsibility, everything that goes along with that. John makes a commitment to take care of. Now, where was, where was Joseph... Um, it seems, it appears, that he has probably passed away by this point. And so, most likely, Mary is a widow. Um, where are his brothers? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, culturally, because Jesus is the firstborn, he bears the, the greatest responsibility to make sure that this is cared for. I think, additionally, we're told that his siblings don't follow Christ yet. They haven't accepted him. And so, John is or, sorry, Jesus is making sure that his mother is cared for By John, and he's taking steps to ensure that that is done, and this occurs right before he dies, right before he gives up the ghost. This isn't simply a side note that Paul is making to Timothy; it's a core issue about what is our faith, what do we believe. Um, It views it's it's in James the epitome of what true religion is. We've seen a couple of places from the Old Testament where it comes up, and and this idea of honoring or taking care of. Our family becomes very, very significant, um, and Jesus himself deals with it so i know've we 've gone around to a lot of other passages, but I, I think that it 's important to understand that this isn 't just some side issue this isn 't a, a small deal when I first started Studying this passage and looking at this several weeks ago, I'm like, okay, you know, this one, it's fairly simple, right? It's, it's pretty easy. There's not, not a, a ton in it. But as I began to dig into it and look at it and, and study it and recognize where it fits with the rest of Scripture, we come to realize that, no, this is a big deal. The way that we deal with our families is very, very important. And Paul is getting ready to deal with some specific situations in the church about how are they to take care of Older men and older women. He starts off by saying, don't rebuke them. Don't, don't smack them around. Instead, encourage them. Draw them alongside. And then specifically, each individual is to take care of those in their own household, their own personal family, the way that God expects it to. He's not changing any of that. However, what if? What if we get to a situation where they can't? where the kids, there are no children in that household, or the kids have all passed away, or, 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 or. Well, that's what the rest of the section is going to deal with. So, I know we've gone through a lot of of side notes and and side tracks. I'm sorry if I've lost anybody. Let's bring it back to chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. We're going to dig into the specifics of this. With that background, with that basis and understanding of how important God views some of these things, what does it say that we need to do? Verse 3, honor widows who are widows indeed. And then verse 4 is, is giving some specific instructions to families, to, to the kids to take care of those, their own. But then verse 5, now, she who is a widow indeed. That, that phrase comes up multiple times. The idea is not that we are downplaying any other widow, but that we are talking about a specific type of widow. She who is a widow indeed. Has, fixed her, or has been left alone and has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Paul is setting up this idea that that's what they ought to do. They need to commit themselves to these things. He gives a contrast then in verse 6 that says, uh, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even while she lives. And, and I think what Paul's doing here is kind of a play on words. He's saying if she's only living for pleasure, if she's only living for herself, she's not really living. She's, she's dead already. And so when we have one of these individuals, someone who has lost their husband, who devotes themselves, who gives themselves to the things of God, fix their hope on God, continues in entreaties and continues in prayers, what are we supposed to do about that? Verses 7 and 8 then continue this idea of helping people understand that they bear primary responsibility for their own, all right? Uh, Prescribe and teach these things as well so that they may be above reproach. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So before we get into how do we take care of, how do we honor, how do we ensure to provide for these widows, bear in mind that the primary responsibility is still put on the children. And then, uh, I think that this expands it a little bit and says someone who's part of your household, that individuals will be taking on certain responsibilities and that they bear that primary responsibility. Then we get to verse 9 and the specific details of what to do on this. Let a widow be put on the list only if, only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a rep- reputation of good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Now, the, first, first and foremost, what does this deal with a list? Based on that idea of honoring the widow... This is a list that puts them into a registration or a recognition that the church is taking on that responsibility, that financial obligation to care for this individual. Now, there are eight, uh, eight items that are listed out as requirements in order to be put on that list. And here's one of the, where, where one of those questions comes up. In which we can be like those Pharisees that we looked at, who try and find the around to, to avoid it, or we can be like the way that Christ describes it of, of honoring them. What if somebody doesn't quite meet these? Does that remove all of our obligation? We have no responsibility to help them. We don't, we just, we cast them out. They're, they're a widow who's 59, a 59-year-old widow. Do we just say, no, nah, forget them, I don't, I don't need to worry about that? No, not at all, not at all. You start digging into scripture, and you're going to find all kinds of love your neighbor, love one another, help, strengthen, all of that stuff. None of that is removed in any of this. What we're talking about here is a specific situation in which the church as a whole takes on the financial obligations, that, thus relieving that widow of having to take care of themselves. So what does that take in order for us to put them on that list or that registration, in order to take care of them, they need to meet these eight criteria. Boiled down, in essence, it comes to the idea that if this person has fulfilled the responsibilities of a wife, of a mother, and of a godly lady. That, that's really what it comes down to. If they've lived a life that proves that they are a follower of Christ, that's what we need to verify before we as a church... Take on that responsibility of caring for that widow, that individual. Now, caution is also given. And there's, there's a lot of reasons that Paul deals with in verses 12 and, or 11 and 12 about why younger widows are not to be put on the list. So the, the one that he kind of hones in on is this idea of over 60 years old. But he's going to give us some, some reasons not to put others on. And I think that there are two big ones that come up says refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desire in disregard to Christ they want to get married thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge that's the first one i think that the the idea that's going on here is that paul is saying don't put them on the list because they're going to get distracted this isn't necessarily a bad thing he's not dealing with sin in this situation a younger woman who loses her husband, it's very sad, it's very unfortunate, it takes some time, but if she's added to the list and the church takes on the responsibility for her, then she's going to become distracted and want to get married again. That's not a bad thing because later we're going to find out that's what Paul encourages to happen. I think the issue here is that she is denied what happened in verse 5, that idea of to fix her hope on God and continue in entreaties and prayers night and day. What he's saying is they get distracted, they they go away from that love of Christ, they incur condemnation because, verse twelve, they've set aside their previous pledge. So <clears throat> if the church were to take on a younger widow and have the responsibility and she be part of what's going on here, and then she starts looking around and be like, well I'm still actually pretty young. I I could go and get married and, and live and have kids and do all of those things then she has lost track of that pledge or that promise that she made to put her hope and dependence completely on God and to give herself to the prayers and things of that nature like we saw back in verse 5. Entreaties and prayers night and day. The other issue that comes up, and I think that this one does entail sin a lot more, is in verse 13. It says, At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. Not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. There's, a, there's an old saying that idle hands are the devil's playground. And I, I think that that plays out here. If the church takes on the responsibility of those widows, the younger widows, who look around and they've got a lot of life and vitality and opportunities and they can go out. And, and yes, theoretically, they could be very useful to help the church to minister, to do different things. But... It's possible also that because they become idle, they get distracted and they start becoming gossips and busybodies and doing those things that that no one really is supposed to be doing. And, And really, I think this comes back in part to the fact that God created us for work. God created us for a purpose. And so if the church takes on that responsibility and completely removes any need for them to work or do things, that's what happens. Um, ultimately we see that in culture around us with the idea of, of a over dependence on the state to take care of everything. Welfare that assists is a good thing. I'm not I'm not denying that. But when it allows us to become idle and doing nothing, that becomes a problem. And that's what Paul's pointing out here is that if the church takes on that responsibility and that younger widow becomes idle, sitting around doing nothing because they don't have to, that leads down a path that becomes very much sinful. And there's a problem. Verse 14. Therefore, I encourage, I want, um, this is this is kind of a mid-range desire. It's not a command, uh, but it's also not like just a passing comment. He's saying, "I I want this to be the case. I want something to happen. I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Now, I'll admit... I have, I have read some and, and heard some who think that this means I want younger women to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and that that's all that's, all that's going on. Not hardly. That, that is completely contrary to what's going on. Uh, instead, there are four items that younger women are expected to do and this is fulfilling what God's expectation of all young ladies are. So the idea is just because their, their husband has passed away and they've become a widow, that doesn't mean that their life is over, that there's nothing else that they can do. Instead, they're supposed to give themselves to God and do what he has expected of young women, namely get married, have children, and then this idea of keep house. And, and this is one of those you start digging into. It's not just, uh, like I said, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. It's the idea of manage, care for, guide, develop your house. Have you ever read Proverbs 31? You understand the picture that's painted there of a, of a woman? It's not just some meek, lowly nothingness. This woman, described in, in Proverbs 31, goes out and makes deals and creates a business and takes care of her household and enables her husband to be a better husband to do more. And so what uh, we're not going to go over to to Proverbs 31 because I've rabbit trailed enough, but the idea here is that this woman fulfills all that God desires of a young lady. Yes, it is sad when a young lady becomes a widow. And and I don't think that Paul is at all denying that or that he's saying, well, you're not allowed to to um, be sorrowful or anything of that nature. That, that really comes up and becomes, uh, it, it has to be dealt with. Sorrow has to be dealt with. I, I get that. But he is saying that they need to continue with life. They need to move forward eventually. Give them, give them a little bit of time, yes. But move forward and do what it is that God created you as a young woman to be and to do have children, get married, live for him, do good works, and maybe someday you will be that that other widow that meets those eight different criteria that's older and all. But at this point, they are to give themselves to doing what God has done. And a big reason for that is found at the end of verse 14, so that they won't give the enemy an occasion for reproach or to speak bad against Christianity, against followers of Christ, For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Again, this becomes a a big deal. When, When these young widows, these young women, go away from what God desires, it turns people away from Christ. And that's a problem. These young ladies have the opportunity to do what God designed them to. And so Paul is encouraging them to fulfill what God expects of them. He's also encouraging the church not to allow them to do things that fail to fulfill God's plan, but instead help them. All the way back to the beginning of the chapter, do not sharply rebuke, but encourage them. Bring them alongside. Help them develop to become what God wants them to be. Now, there's a question that comes up. It's a, a what if that came to my mind as as I was thinking about this and, and dealing with it. We have, in our congregation, let's, let's bring this specifically to us, not just out there thinking about, but specifically to us. We have some young families uh, in, our, in our church with men who are involved in dangerous occupations. Um, bad things could happen to them. What do we as a church do if something were to occur? If we had a young widow... I, I, I don't want to use too much, but okay. I've been talking to John a little bit. Um, he's in a dangerous situation. He's in a dangerous job. And something could happen. And we, we have several of those. I'm picking on John because I talked to him on some of these. What do we as a church do in regard to that? I think this is where we also go back to that, what I looked at with what Jesus has to say and what, I, what we looked at with some of those Old Testament ideas we recognize that there's a heart issue going on. And this is setting up specific requirements that give us a baseline foundation of what we need to do that doesn't prevent us from going above and beyond. If there were a young family uh, that lost the husband in this church, I don't think that this removes our responsibility to help them but it does specify some of the things that we do that are helpful, that are truly helpful, and some of those things that would cause more problems down the road than actually. Now, obviously I pray that this doesn't occur, but we as a church would have a responsibility to come around and to pray for and to encourage and to help and to to draw them closer to Christ and, and probably to give some assistance as that's needed. But there are... Expectations after a reasonable period, it is expected that the that young widow continue life and fulfill God's plans in her life, and that we as a church help her do that. Not that we add her to the list and allow her then to become idle and sitting around and doing nothing, but that we encourage her and enable her to do what it is that God wants and that God desires in her life. And and yes, that does mean. Carrying on and moving on. I, as you know, I had the opportunity to be in the military for a while, and we were just we were young, just getting started, um, and that was one of the questions, one of the issues that came up is like, okay, if something happens to me, what what happens with Tiffany? And at that point, we had Elsha and Lizka. How are they going to be cared for? What's what's going to happen with that? Now, obviously, I had taken out some life insurance and done certain things to make sure that that was. Uh, cared for, but we were part of a church that came around her and encouraged her and helped her. Just because I was deployed and gone, and that's what we as a church have responsibility to do as well. That's where all of those one another passages that I mentioned come in. That's where the love for the fellowship, the love of the body comes into play. So, so when we deal with this passage, I, I want to be clear. Paul is giving some specific instructions, some specific commands as to how we are to deal with these older widows. And there are uh, eight requirements of them, of what's expected of them, that they have lived a godly life, that they have done what God expects, that they have, um, well, I'll just read them instead of trying to quote them off. That they be not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation of good works having brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, if she has done those things, we as a church come alongside and take care of them if they are left without anyone else. However, if they have someone else, Our job is to encourage those others to do what God has designed them to do. The children and the grandchildren are supposed to step up and to help out and to take care of those things. But if she is truly left without anyone, we as a church step in and assist and take care of that individual. If a younger woman, something happens to her husband... We as a church come alongside. We pray for them. We encourage them. We help them out in some practical ways. We help them with that time of sorrow because it will be very, very difficult for them. And it's it's perfectly fine to um, mourn for an extended period of time. That happens. That's reasonable. But that individual does not meet these requirements and qualifications for us to then take on full-blown responsibility for the rest of their life. And that's the idea that's being presented here, is that they have full responsibility while that widow then spends her time in prayer, in supplications, working for the church, working for the things that God designed and desires for them to do. Um, as, I, as I mentioned um, there are a lot of one another passages that come up. Um, and, and I would encourage you, just, just look that phrase up, one another, and how we as a church are supposed to interact on some of those other ideas. Uh, there's one more situation that can come up that he deals with in verse uh, 16. We're going to take a look at it. And I think really the story of Naomi and Ruth comes into play here. We're not going to turn to it. You're probably familiar. Uh, Naomi and Ruth, both of them, an older lady and a younger lady, both lose their husbands. And um, Naomi was married to to Ruth's husband's father. So they're part family. They then travel back to Israel. You, you guys remember the story of them, right? Okay. Um Because I'm I'm butchering the story as I try and summarize it. So they are, Naomi and Ruth, Ruth is caring for, is taking care of Naomi. They're not being dependent on anyone else. They're trying to do what needs done. And I think that that's the picture that's being brought up in in verse 16 of chapter 5. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who who are widows indeed? The long term care of taking on the full care of a widow is to be provided for from the church when certain things are true, when certain requirements have been met. That doesn't remove the one another ideas where we help each other out, where we take care of one another, but the specifics of the long term full financial care are limited in these situations. So what? What do we do with all of this? I think this slide's been up for a little bit. Yeah. We as believers do have a responsibility to care for one another as family. That's what starts this entire section off is this idea of a familial relationship. The primary responsibility to take care of each other still rests with the immediate relatives. However, there are times when that is not possible. And in those situations, the church is to step in and care for widows who are widows Indeed, so what do we do with all of this? What are, what's the takeaway? I think I would encourage that you go back and look up some of those one anothers, and how do we, as believers, interact with each other? How do we? How how does God expect us to live towards our family, towards our friends, towards our relatives, towards the previous generation, towards the next generation? All of that is coming into play in what Paul is setting up with Timothy here. But he's dealing with a specific situation in which there are some older women, older widows who have no one else to help them, no one else to take care of them. What he's encouraging Timothy then is that as the body of Christ, that we take on the financial responsibility for those widows who are widows indeed that doesn't remove responsibility to care for and bear one another's burdens and help one another out, love one another. All of that still stays in place. But the specific example here is that we take on the full financial responsibility of those widows who are widows indeed. Is that going to be costly? Yeah. Yeah, it can be. And yet, that is how we honor and show that we are followers of Christ. Whether it's within a family or within the body of Christ, within the church, this is how we display that we are truly religious. Not that we do the religious activities and do those things, but that we live it out and we show our piety, that we show that we have not denied the faith, like verse 8 says. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Sometimes we come to passages that are kind of difficult. I know as I was preparing and thinking about the idea of leaving a widow behind, that would be so hard. Lord, I know in our in our church we have several widows and I can't fathom the challenges. But Lord, thank you for your word that encourages us to live as a family, to recognize that we are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So Lord, I pray that, that we would put that into practice. That we would love one another the way that you desire us to. And Lord, as we, we look at this passage in these specific situations, Lord, help us to fulfill your will in those. Both those who need the, the help and those that need the encouragement to, to do what they are supposed to be doing. So Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to fill your goals and your desires. Help us to relate to one another the way that you desire us to. I thank you for your word. I pray that it would change us so that we become more like your son, following his example and living as you desire us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.